We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. If you want to go ahead and be opening up your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew in front of you. And we'd love to give that to uh, to you as a gift from the church this morning. And so we're in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Let me uh, once again ask God's blessing upon this time that we're together. Father God, you are so high and exalted. You alone are worthy of all praise, of all adoration. God, we come to you this morning and we humbly ask your blessing upon this service. Father, we pray your spirit would be at work in our hearts, drawing us ever closer to you, calling us ever more to surrender uh, this life and to live for your glory. Father, this morning we pray for the many churches gathered around our city, our community, that you would give them rich times of worship. Father, we pray for them this morning that as they gather together to focus on Jesus, his coming, his transformation and the transformation he affects in their lives, that you would give them just a rich time of worship, that we would see families restored, hearts renewed, that we would see strong churches well up in our community, and that through that, through our collaborative effort in seeking you, that we would see revival break out in our community, men and women and children whose hearts are turning to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us these next moments, that you would send your spirit out, that your words would be effective and effectual in our hearts and in our lives, that our lives would be placed in submission to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have watched the news the last couple of weeks, you've noticed that, that there is a decided absence of peace in our world. There's an absence of peace. There seems to, in some sense, be an increase in aggression. And the temptation now, as we have a 24-hour news cycle, and you're able to just be inundated uh, all day long. You can have alerts pop up on your phone and wake you up in the middle of the night. You can have no end towards all the information you receive. The tendency is, is to think things are getting worse in some sense. You know, ours isn't the only time in society, only time in history where we've seen things move and and ask ourselves the question, is there any end to violence? Is there any end? Is there any possibility of peace? One of my favorite stories historically thinking of the idea of peace happened in 1914 on Christmas Eve. World War I had already been going since July, and British casualties alone at this point in the war had approached 100,000. So think about that. Five short months of war and already 100,000 casualties from one country alone. World War I, prior to this time, humanity was under the mistaken assumption that we were getting better and better and better and that we would somehow usher in through this growth of humanity complete and utter peace. And World War I revealed one thing to us, our inability to bring about peace. But on this Christmas Eve of 1914, what we saw was amazing. Conflicts had been, had been taking place on the German line and on the British line, and in some places mere feet apart, other places 300 yards apart. On Christmas Eve, when it rolled around, the British soldiers, and there's this fabulous BBC documentary that was filmed in 1981, and you can actually hear these World War I soldiers recount of their, their telling of this. But they said they're, they're, they're in there and they're thinking about how they miss mom and how they miss dad and how they miss gran and, and how they miss sticky toffee pudding and, and all this wonderful stuff. And, and they've got these cans of sardines and it's not quite mating out. And so, 
they are in there and all of a sudden from the German trenches they begin to hear a song and as the song crosses over no man's land and it makes its way down into their trenches they hear the tune of Silent Night. So they hear the tune of Silent Night. Now they've heard the Germans sing before but never a song like this and so the Germans finish and what do the British soldiers do? They begin to clap. They begin to clap and then uh, that song is finished and so the British soldiers say, okay, now it's our turn and so they volley back with the first Noel and they begin to sing the first Noel and it finishes and the German soldiers wait and then they clap and they volley back with O Tannenbaum. And this takes place over, over a number of minutes and leading into an hour and so back and forth, song and song and song. And then finally it's the British soldiers turn to sing again and they begin to sing, O come all ye faithful. And so they begin to sing this song, and what they hear coming back from the German lines is the same song. And so these melodies meet in the middle, and as the melodies meet in the middle, what we see is men from each side rise up out of the trenches and make steps towards one another. And they meet in the middle in no man's land. They help each other bury the dead. They take photographs to memorialize that occasion. They exchange clothing. They exchange stories of what it was like. I was a plumber back home. I was a painter back home. I was a principal back home. I was a school teacher back home. And so what we saw in that moment is incredible peace surrounded by devastating chaos. In Isaiah chapter 9, the Israelites were being uh, under siege by the Assyrians. The Assyrian army was coming and what we see in the words of Isaiah the prophet to Judah is this commentary on the peace struck by the king Ahaz. Now Isaiah writes over the time of five different kings and the time he describes here in chapter 9 is likely under the king Ahaz. Now Ahaz, seeing the Assyrians come in, decided that he would try and broker peace on his own. And so to broker peace, what he did was he sent uh, men up to Assyria to learn their worship stylings, to learn how to worship their gods that would come back and would instruct the nation of Israel, would instruct Judah in how to do these things. And, and Judah and Israel became kind of this vassal of the Assyrian Empire. And so what he had done was seek to strike peace, in some sense, at all costs. He sought through political maneuver to secure the future peace of Judah. And what we see is Isaiah weighs in on this. And look what he says to him. Starting in verse 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So he begins to describe peace in terms of what it will bring and how it will look. And so he describes peace in terms of light coming into darkness. And so formerly, when they were, had the onslaught of the Assyrians coming towards them, it was doom and gloom. It was this unhappy time. But they look around them and they begin to see things changing. They begin to see their, their uh, landscape changing and getting better and looking more promising. And so Isaiah describes it in terms of this light that's coming in. But what we begin to notice is, is that he's not offering a commentary positively on the work of Ahaz. But what he begins to describe is the peace that God will affect, the peace that God will bring, and how different it is from the temporary peace that Ahaz has managed to hold up shakily. He says in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as when they are glad with the spoil. See, he begins to describe something to them. He begins to describe how incredibly joyous they are. So think about this. 
Your land, your livelihood, your family stands at great risk to be lost. And here you have this lunatic prophet out, and he said, things are going to be good. Things are going to be amazing. We're going to be able to rejoice. Do you know what it's like when we bring in the harvest? And they say, it's a wonderful time. He says, do you remember what it's like when we, when we lay low an enemy and we take all their stuff and they say, it's a wonderful time. He said, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like. He says, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken us on the day of Midian. So he begins to recall this tremendous military conquest when they have won the war in their past. And so he's asking them to focus on this. He said, this is what it's going to be like. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He says, this is what it's going to be like. God is going to take this army that's coming in and he's going to decimate them. We're going to take all the spoil. We're going to take all the stuff of them. We're going to put it in a fire and we're going to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Now you would expect that Isaiah describes this and he says this is how it's going to happen. We're going to make an alliance like Ahaz has done, but we're going to do it with this country or that country. Or we're going to have this spearheaded rebellion, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to fight guerrilla warfare. But no, instead, look at the unbelievably decided, decidedly divine way God plans to affect peace. It says, for unto us a child is born. Chaos. Mayhem impending doom and God's word to the people of Judah through the prophet Isaiah is for unto us a child is born so they begin to look around at their countrymen they begin to look around at their situation and they say all of this is going to change because a child is born and Isaiah comes at them again he says for unto us a son is given and so this is incredibly personal for them a child is born for us a son is given to us it's not some remote people living in a land far away that they have no relationship with. It is them. He is going to, to drastically alter their future on the basis of one being born, one coming along, one changing their destiny, if you will. Look what he goes on to say about this son. He says, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace he describes this leader that will come and affect change for them this child who will grow up and he describes his name in these four ways the first thing he says his name will be wonderful counselor now ahaz had sought to be this tremendous counselor sought to employ wisdom and and he he chose in some sense this neville chamberlain approach of peace at all costs and so he had gone and sought out the enemy and sought, in what ways can we forestall your advance? In what ways can we have peace? In what ways can we save the lives of those around us? But Isaiah says, this son who's going to be born, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He uses divine language to describe the amazing ability of this coming king to rule. He's going to be this wonderful counselor. His wisdom is going to blow their mind. It's going to be so much greater than they could ever imagine. He is going to be a mighty God. In chapter 10, 
We see the same language employed of God. And so he's asking them, he's employing, he's uh, entreating them to expand their minds and the possibility that things would be different than under Ahaz. He says this mighty God, this strong God, this warrior strong in battle is going to come forth. And he is an everlasting father. Now in this term everlasting father, he's calling on them to recall 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where if David's kingdom, they said there would, there would be no end, that there would always be one to sit on the throne of David. And so he's asking them to recall these things, to recall God's faithfulness. There would be an everlasting father. And finally, he says he is a prince of peace. Ahaz sought to be a prince of appeasement. To be a king of a lesser kingdom. But this new ruler would affect peace and bring peace on a radically different scale, on a radically different, and in a radically different way. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of, the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So he goes to them in the midst of impending doom, in the midst of, of chaos coming in to get them. And he says, there will be no end to this peace. What would you do if somebody came up to you and says, I, and I can affect peace, and I can make it have no end. There will be no end to the peace I can bring. Well, you would think that they were crazy, insane, especially if you're in the, in the middle of a conflict, in the middle of a battle. But this is exactly what Isaiah says. Of his kingdom and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it. And look how he's going to judge with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah tells them, we're not just going to see the Assyrians back down. We're going to see God affect peace and he's going to do it. It's going to change and it's going to be like that forever. And then lastly, Isaiah writes to us and he says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And so there's probably always this assumption in their minds, what is he asking us to do? Is this like, is this the speech for wartime rations? Is this the speech for the draft? How is he going to do this? And he gets to the end of this and he says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And so they're waiting, they're seeing. And what we find is that it takes 700, roughly 700 years for this prophecy of Isaiah to finally come to full and final fruition. And you would expect that people would have been waiting with bated breath. You would expect that this to be done to tremendous fanfare. But what we find is that when we get into Luke 2, this peace is brought about in a radically different way. Luke 2 says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, everybody say, with child. For to us, a child is born, for unto us. A son is given. And so they begin to embark on this journey. And verse 6 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him 
in a manger, for there was no place for them. And the text in the ESV translates this in. No, interestingly, in Luke 22 and verse 11, Jesus sends the disciples to prepare the place where they would have the Lord's Supper. And the same word is used. Even in his birth, it's pointing through his death. Now, why these events are taking place, verse 8 tells us, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. They were terrified. Imagine being shepherds out, and there are stars in the sky, and maybe the moon is out. And then all of a sudden, tremendous bright light. Light like they had never beheld before. And it shone all around them, and these guys are terrified. They're falling all over themselves. And the angel responds, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all people. Everybody say all people. people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Verse 11, we find out that it is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you when you find the baby in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, this is critically important. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Everybody say peace. Peace among those with whom he is For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The son born that affects peace, the son born that changes everything is Jesus Christ. For 700 plus years, they waited the coming of the one who would affect peace. For 700 plus years, they waited for the one who would tremendously change everything. This morning... We recognize that that there is no broad peace globally, but you and I are able to have peace with God. You see, going back to that night on December the 24th, 1914, the peace they enjoyed in the middle, the meals they exchanged, the, the tales, the antics, and over and again you hear these guys say, the guy sitting on the other side, he's just doing his job. We had peace. We had an armistice in the middle. We could have sustained it. It's the repeated refrain you hear from them. We enjoyed peace. Some of those those times of peace lasted for hours. Some lasted into the early morning. Some lasted all of Christmas Day. And one of those ceasefires lasted all the way to the New Year. Ultimately, the ranking superiors, their their officers would send letters to the front and say, never again seek to approach the enemy to strike peace. You will engage them. You will kill them. This peace that spun up organically on Christmas Eve was not to last. It was short-lived. It was fleeting because it began in the heart of man. But the peace God affects, the peace he brings to you is spun up in his heart and graciously extended to you through the shed blood of Jesus. This child that is born, the son that is given, 
this innocent babe that lay in the manger, what we see is that he would go on to live his life perfect and sinless. And that his death would offer you an opportunity to be joined together with God, that he would take on all the wrath and punishment from God directed at you for the sin that you commit, for the sin that's in your heart, for the sin that you walk in, for the sin that I walk in. And this Jesus, this son, would willingly receive the wrath of God so that you might experience peace with God. Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join with me in prayer as we ask God to move in our hearts to continue to bring peace? Father, we recognize you alone can bring peace and you have offered us peace through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for those in this morning who have yet to submit their hearts to you. God, I pray for those in this place who are wrestling and wrangling with peace, that they might know peace through Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would send us out as ambassadors for Jesus to be those who are extending peace globally, telling all those around us how they might come to know your peace through Jesus. And Father God, we're so thankful for your great goodness to us, for the kind and generous gift that you gave to us that Christmas morning in the person of Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.